Have you ever struggled with feelings of not being good enough, not feeling worthy enough, maybe not being accepted by others? It's probably something that most of us have struggled with at one time or another during our lives. We invite you to join the Care Pastors on our podcast series, What's the Matter with Me?, as we take a look at the origins of shame. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Care Ministries podcast here at Brookwood Church. And uh, we are continuing our series uh, dealing with shame called uh, What is Wrong With Me? And uh, just might like to clarify from week one, um, there is something wrong with me, but I didn't need Josh to remind me, which actually caused me more shame. So it's a good thing that we're doing this podcast. Way to go, Josh. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I yes. didn't mean to shame you. <laughs> Um, if you haven't listened to the first one, you better go back and listen to the first one before you listen to this one. So that joke sense. was so lame, I was surprised that Josh Taylor didn't cut it out. Yeah. I was surprised no, it was still in it. there. It's still in there. It's vital. Yes, <laughs> it is vital. <laughs> Josh Taylor just said it's yes. vital. Our uh, expertise at the helm is Mr. Taylor, Joshua. Now, what's your middle initial? J. J. So you're Joshua J. And you're Joshua J. Yes, I am. Doug, I feel very underwhelmed now. We're just yeah. We're just not important. I'm just Gene. But hey, I'm Gene Bagnum, the care pastor here at Brookwood. And we are here with Joshua J. Taylor, who is uh, going to make sure this thing makes it. I have it. to edit down this nice yeah. intro. <laughs> this is a great intro. <laughs> and uh, Joshua J. Masters. Hello. Associate care pastor here. And then Doug, Doug, what's your middle name? Alan. Alan? Yes. You know, I never knew that. Yeah. A Doug Allen. That seems very regal. That fits. A Doug Douglas, Allen. Douglas Allen. Douglas Allen Wildman. Yes. Man. So that I really sound like a butler. That You do. Yes. That would be awesome. Yes. You could take Alfred's place. In that, that yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. In that, in that vein, can you give me a cup of coffee, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> He's not your butler. Oh, oh, okay. He serves the Lord. So, hey, uh, we're going to continue with uh, our series here. And or are we? Yeah, we're getting there. Uh, so today we're going to talk about um, examples of um, how shame manifests itself in our lives. Because one thing that we realize is that when we talk about um, issues like forgiveness and praising God and, you know, a lot of times people are left with, okay, but give me some examples. How does that... Like, how does that parlay into my life? You know what I mean? Like, as opposed to just giving me the principles of things. And so um, today we're going we're gonna to each tackle uh, an example of or a category of how shame could manifest itself in your life. And so we hope that these um, will apply to your life, um, that you'll be able to relate to it. And maybe um, week one will make more sense to you and be able to connect with it. Um, so if you remember last week, we, we um, focused in on the scripture, uh, Genesis 3-7, uh, after Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit, um, you know, and uh, Josh did a great job of uh, kind of uh, encapsulating what God was trying to say and how he was saying it to Adam, which was, hey, where are you? Like, you're not here in our normal time that we usually meet. Um, you know, and Adam's response is, you know, I heard you. And, and I hid. And then he says, you know, um, I was ashamed because I was naked. 
And so God responds by saying, well, you know, who told you you were naked? And so that's the first time that in the Bible the, the concept of shame uh, is introduced. And so we thought it would be good to say, well, you know, how does that uh, relate to my life? And so I'm going to start with uh, a concept that I call the, the issue is not the identity. And what happens a lot is, especially parents and children, is a child will do something uh, that he or she was not supposed to do. Like they put their hand in the cookie jar, you know, and we've seen that, you know, the kid gets his hand slapped and the parent says, don't do that or whatever. But what happens a lot is, is the parents will not only correct the child, but they'll do it in a way that harms the child's identity by saying, um, you know, Jimmy, you're bad because you tried to steal the cookie. Now, notice the difference between you're bad because you did something and what you did was bad. And that, as innocent as that sounds, it doesn't sound like a big difference. But imagine if every time you did something wrong as a child, you were told that you were bad, that you were wrong, not what you were doing. Now, that doesn't excuse the behavior that may be out of line, but... God didn't say that to Adam either. Mm-hmm. He didn't say to Adam, you're bad. If you if you continue to read in Genesis, he addresses what they did. Like even when he talks to, to Eve, he says, what have you done? He still loved them. He was still in relationship with them. He still cared for them. And I think Doug said it last week, you know, that no matter how bad a child acts, it doesn't strip them of their identity. You know, that child will always be your child. Now, you may not be happy with what they're doing, but consider now what happens, and then this may relate to a lot of you, is, okay, so you grew up with this idea of my issue is my identity. Now what happens is every time you do something quote-unquote wrong, you're heaping even more shame upon yourself because now it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're saying, oh, yeah, my parents were right. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm bad. So then you start self-sabotaging in relationships, you know, either personal relationships or at work with coworkers. I mean, it could be anybody. And so one thing to maybe even ask yourself is, can you, and I know Josh is going to hit this in a minute, or no, at the end, is can you separate what you do from who you are? Hmm. Because if you can't, then shame is in there. You know, and as we talk about how we cope with these things later, we'll really hit how people overperform. Uh, perfectionism and stuff is, is another example of not being able to separate the two. Now, think about the flip side. If you or I did something wrong and our parents said, hey, what you did was wrong, and let me show you why what you did was wrong, but yet the relationship with the parent is intact. Right, and even in that you're conveying, I still love you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the relationship is still there. Now, it doesn't mean that maybe there hasn't been damage done because a lot of times with, um, you know, husbands and wives, you know, uh, you know, people stepping outside of marriage, committing adultery, that kind of stuff, which, again, is a serious issue. But let's take a look at why you did what you did instead of just saying, oh, you are. And it's interesting because there's a concept called the, the fatal attribution error. And in that, it is shown that when people are evaluating themselves, sometimes they have a tendency 
to say, oh, well, I was just having a bad day. You know, like let's say, you know, you, you lose your temper while you're driving. Oh, well, that was, I just had a bad day. But if I look at you and you do it and I say, gosh, you are a bad driver. You have a temper problem. You're an angry. It's interesting how we have a tendency to attribute their character to what they did. But sometimes we attribute our behavior to just circumstances. To our circumstances. Yeah. Now, sometimes we do it to ourselves. The fatal yeah. attribution error can be against ourselves as well, too, is this idea that what I have done has marred me and stained me to the point where now my identity is no more. Yep. And so we see that a lot in care. We see a lot of people who identify uh, with their issue. And that's why we see, so often can see people that are critical of character defects in other people that they have this exact same character defect. Mm -hmm. But if someone points that out to them, they'll say, well, that's different, mm -hmm. even if it's the exact same thing. Yeah. I've also seen it where people will have this shame-based identity and what they'll do is they'll say, instead of saying, oh, man, I made a mistake, what they'll, what they'll say is, well, of course I made a mistake because I'm this kind of person. Mm. You know, um, mm -hmm. so almost like using it as evidence to kind of back up this identity that they've got. Yeah. Well, not only evidence, but I see people use it as an excuse for their behavior. Mm -hmm. Like I can't help it because whatever reason. Right. You know, I used to, before I was in full-time ministry, I worked um, doing living skills with kids that had emotional and behavioral disorders. Mm. And I would see kids all the time who had received a diagnosis, and then they use that diagnosis as an excuse to not behave or to not mm -hmm. make progress. They right. go, well, I can't do that. I have ADD. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That becomes their, not only their label of shame, but their reason to not move out of the shame. Right. And then uh, another way of looking at shame or another avenue that it hits us, Doug's going to talk about, which is dealing with our emotions and our feelings. Yeah. Um, you know, every, every uh, family is a culture, and uh, part of that culture is how we conceptualize emotions. Mm -hmm. So there are some uh, families who have uh, very strong likes and dislikes, uh, things that are considered acceptable, things that are not considered acceptable. Um, and most of those are shaped by just the experiences that we've mm -hmm. been through. Um, but uh, this is probably not seen anywhere more clearly than in the way that we think about the expression of emotions. So fear, sadness, anger... And even happiness and excitement mm. sometimes. I've seen this with, with people. Um, parents will say things like, if you're going to cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Mm. Um, or uh, you be a man. You know, Stop being afraid. Mm -hmm. um, uh, don't give me any lip. This is one that I heard a lot. That, that's a, a way of saying, don't get angry. Mm -hmm. Don't get upset. Because if you do, there's going to be trouble. Mm. Um, now, kind of going back to what you had said earlier, we're not talking about individual incidences. We're talking about the shame that is put upon kids as the result of having a feeling. And feelings are normal. We were talking about this yesterday. Everybody has feelings. Everybody experiences emotions because we're emotional beings. Mm. But 
depending on your family, your family may have a tendency toward one type of feeling being okay and others not being okay. So like I said, in my family, anger, absolutely under no no conditions was it ever okay to get angry. Mm. And so um, so we we knew that there were times when we were upset. We knew that there were times when we were getting angry on the inside, but what we had to do was to kind of push that down. And uh, as a result, we kind of carried in ourselves sort of this message of, well, I know that good kids are not supposed to get angry. Mm. And so, Mm -hmm. um, but I know that I am experiencing anger. So within me, I felt that there was something deficient. There was something that was um, not right because I was getting upset on yeah. the inside. There's, so I there's no freedom. What's that? There's no freedom to There's no freedom to be yeah. able to explore that. I mean, again, teaching kids how to do it in a uh, in a healthy way. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, if you know, like um, you know, someone who cries a lot, a lot of times parents will say, "Quit being a baby." Yeah. So or cry baby. So then what do you think? Well, every time I'm crying, that must mean I'm a baby. Therefore, the shame, you know, becomes your identity, you know, exactly. or like, don't, don't upset mom, you know, with your, with your, uh, you know, coming in yelling, screaming or whatever, or dad, you know, dad's sleeping, you know, be a good boy. Yes. And then when you didn't, because you're a kid and you're running around, again, it comes back to the issue and the identity. Well, you're a bad kid because you express the emotion. And now you can see where, you know, and Josh, you probably have seen this as well, is, you know, grown, especially men, mm-hmm. not being able to get even get in touch with the emotion. Yeah. Right. Much less have it, uh, they can't even identify it. That's right. right. Yeah. And, and that causes damage in two ways. So if you are taught from a young age and then into adulthood that you're a bad person if you express anger. Mm-hmm then two things happen. One, you have this identity of it issue because you're going to be angry. So every time you do get angry, yep. that you feel you're a terrible person. Yep. But you also have the ramifications of having stuffed that anger yeah. and not expressing it. Yep. Because that in and of itself causes uh, an unhealthy situation in you. So you've got sort of a double whammy in that situation yep. where not only do you think you're a bad person for having the emotion, but then you push it down, you don't express it, and it becomes like a cancer inside mm. you. You know, I, I recently heard a testimony um, of one of the guys, the national leaders for CR Inside, which is the Celebrate Recovery Ministry for Inside Prisons. And he said, he introduced himself as saying, I have struggle with anger, but not with expressing it, with stuffing it down. Mm. And there was a lot of acknowledgement and nodding of heads when he said that. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, Gene, so many men, and this can happen to women too, we're generalizing, but so many men are taught that they can't experience emotion. Some feel they can't have anger. Some they can't have, you know, men don't cry, Mm -hmm. right? I cry at least once a week. So (laughs) like, I don't have that problem, but... You know, funny thing is, Jesus got angry, yeah, and and yet without sin. Um, and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter four verse twenty six says, "Get angry, but in your anger do not sin." Um, Solomon, I love this. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, uh, according to First Kings four thirty, said, um, 
there is a time to cry and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and a time to dance. Sorry for you Baptists out there. Um, that's Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Um, so where does that leave us? I mean, why is this important? Um, I would say because if we, if we never address those issues, they don't just kind of magically go away right. when you become an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like you suddenly become an adult and you are, um, you know, suddenly free of all of this stuff. Right. It's in you. And so there there needs to be something that happens within us to free us from these things. And we believe that that Jesus can make that difference. Yeah, because how many many kids probably thought, can't wait to get out of my parents' house so I don't have to deal with all this. And then they realized not, probably not too long after, oh yeah, it is in me, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that, that the environment didn't change. Because, like you said, Doug, the person hadn't changed yet. Yep. You know, the transformation hasn't occurred. That's right. You know, so even today, if you're sitting here going, "Golly, you know, you guys are reading my mail. What's going on?" <laughs> Just have, have, you know, let me encourage you that you know, at the end, we always have a number to call and a way to get in touch with us, and we can walk with you through that. Um, because all these things that we're talking about, the trap is. The awareness of it causes people at first sometimes to feel bad. So the anger guy who stuffs it, and then he he knows, like you said, Doug, he knows something's not right, but he can't quite figure it out because he's been trained to believe that, well, I'm, I'm bad because I have an anger problem. And then he explodes because he can't take it anymore. Well, when he explodes, he doesn't feel better. Then he heaps more shame upon himself, going, well, I should be a good Christian guy. I should be a good dad. I should be a good husband. You know, and if it's a wife, I should be, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have yelled at my kids. And all those things are true. I shouldn't have, you know, I lost my temper. But then it's the next statement, which is, I'm I'm a bad mother because I did that. I'm a bad person, Mm -hmm. which kind of segues into the third category that we're talking about today, which is this idea of... of, um, achievement or performance-based Christianity and how that uh, connects with shame. And Josh, you're going to talk about that. Right. Well, that's that's the other extreme, right? Mm-hmm. That's the other extreme of how we respond to shame is we say, well, I have to make it better by being perfect. I, I have to be above what my issues are. And that comes from exactly what you were talking about in the beginning, Gene, which is people confuse their issues with their identity. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that all the time in Celebrate Recovery. People come in and they believe that their issue is who they are. Right. And we're going to talk about this more in the next podcast in terms of how to deal with that. But since we brought that up at Celebrate Recovery, when we introduce ourselves, at most recovery programs, you come in and you say, hi, my name is Bob and I'm an alcoholic, or hi, my name is Bob and I struggle with codependency, mm-hmm. or, or I'm a codependent. And there's nothing wrong with those programs. They've helped millions of people. We don't have any problem with those programs. But when you say, hi, my name is Bob, I'm a codependent, that's saying, I am codependent, that's who I am. Yes. Whereas where at Celebrate Recovery, I introduce myself, this is now real, I will stand up and say, 
Hello, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, celebrating victory over a lifetime of anxiety and depression. I still struggle with emotional overeating, and my name is Josh. And the difference there is I'm saying my identity is in Christ, but I struggle with these other issues. But for some people, that leads to this idea that I have to be perfect. I can't, I can't make a mistake. And I can tell you how that made a difference in my life, and this is a little bit personal, but I love my biological father. Mm-hmm. I don't have a relationship with him right now. I don't even know, honestly, if he's alive because I haven't seen him or heard from him since I was 16. And But I love him, and I loved him when I was growing up. But he was in and out of our lives, and he did some things that were um, not received well by the rest of my family. And sometimes this shame identity can come from the actions of other people. We've been talking about how it's my action, right? But sometimes if you're connected to someone closely and they do something horrible, Mm -hmm. that makes you feel like you have their shame. So with my biological father out of the picture, I now felt like, oh, I'm the child of this guy. Mm. And the result of that when I look back, is I don't have a good relationship with that entire side of my family. Hmm. It's not contentious, but there's no closeness. Mm-hmm. And it's because I never felt like I was good enough to be around them because I thought they would see my father in me. Hmm. And so I felt like if I can't be perfect, if if when I'm in front of them, I can't represent perfection, then I shouldn't be there because then they're going to see my father in me. And they're going to say, he's just like his father. And I don't think any of that was true. But I took on the shame of what someone else did because I thought it was a reflection of who I was. And so that that is probably the source of why I have some perfectionist issues, to be totally honest, uh, which I fail at every day. And the problem with that, just like you were saying, Gene, with the anger, where you finally do get angry, you explode... And then that makes you feel more shame because you gave into it. Well, perfectionism is the exact same way. None of us can be perfect. So as we do things that are not perfect, like that voice inside of us, that record that the enemy started playing that plays over and over and over is, see, you're not good enough. See, you can't do it. See, you mess it up every time. And you do mess it up every time if your standard is perfection. So whether you wallow on a couch and say, I'm not worthy to talk to anyone, or you're out there going, I have to do everything perfectly, it still comes from that place of shame uh, where your identity is being affected. Mm -hmm. And one other point about the the perfectionist or the achievement piece is, because I see a lot of people doing this, is like what you said, because you felt like you had to be perfect, you didn't go around those people. And I see people do that as well. They isolate themselves. But the other side is, is they think if they can just be perfect, then they will be accepted. So they try even harder to be accepted yes. by the a peer group or, you know, who, whomever it may be. And the whole time on the inside, it's like the hamster on the treadmill. Yeah. And now what's happening is there's so much pressure on you on that person to be perfect that, and I think Josh, you said this at some point in one of our podcasts, the self-hatred can start. 
right? Because you didn't do it and you didn't get accepted, and so you can see where that just leads to a spiral. Whereas what we're trying to uh, grasp is this idea that man, my identity is in Christ. I'm accepted. You know, He died for me, and like you were saying before, Doug. You know that it comes in in that relationship. And then be able to start that process of, yes, there are things that that God wants to work on in me, but I'm valuable no matter what. Right, because the value of something, let's take people out of it. The value of anything is not based on what it's made of. It's on what someone is willing to pay for it. You know, I have some comic books. I don't have the most expensive comic books in the world, but I have some comic books that are worth a fair amount of money. They're paper. There's there's no intri- yeah. intrinsic value to them, but they're worth more because other people are willing to pay for them. So when we look at our own value, it's not based on what we're made up of. It's made up of what someone was willing to pay for us. Mm-hmm. And God paid everything. And I think that that's a great encouraging place for us to wrap up this week. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about what are some healthy ways and some unhealthy ways to deal with that shame. Today, we sort of labeled, you know, examples of what that shame looks like in our lives. But moving forward in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to take a look at some unhealthy ways to deal with it. And then again, some healthy ways to deal with it so that we can all come out of that shame identity. And again, I want to echo what Gene said. If you need help with this shame identity in your own life, you don't have to wait till the podcast series is, is over. Call us at the number that's going to be at the end of the podcast. We would love to help you. Absolutely. But we're going to close today in prayer. Father God, uh, we just thank you that you are a God who was willing to pay everything for us. That despite what the world has told us about us, you put immense value on us to the point that you gave your only son that you sacrificed your son for us, that our value to you is beyond compare and beyond what we can imagine. And so, Lord, I pray for us in this room, in this studio, but I also pray for everyone who's listening, that you would allow us to see ourselves through your eyes instead of through the world's eyes. Show us how you feel about us. Give us a sense of your presence in our life in a way that we can't deny that we have value because we know that your light pushes out darkness. And we ask that for our lives and for our families' lives. And we give you praise in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If we can be an encouragement for you in your prayer life, or if you'd just like to connect with us at Brookwood Care Ministries, you can do so by calling us at 864 688 8355, or you can visit our website, brookwoodchurch.org forward slash care. Stop. <coughs> and I just realized I took yours. Hammer time. You did take mine. I was wondering why I'm you I'm going to recover. Look, you were looking at me. You, and took, like, you took mine. Because I had like it The first down. sentence. I have, I have two sentences of what I'm supposed to talk about, and you said them both in the first in the first thing. But that's all right. I'm a professional. You just watch. You watch you watch what I do. Gene, does that make you feel ashamed? No.